Hello and welcome to the first official episode of Book Club for the Apocalypse. So exciting. This is actually going to be a two-part discussion of the book that I'm currently reading, The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. Now before we get started, this is your official spoiler alert. I am going to be talking about the book up to chapter 9, which is approximately halfway through the book. So if you want to read this book, I highly suggest you stop this podcast right now, go back and read it to chapter 9, and then play this episode. Um, Official spoiler alert right here. So if you actually want to read this book, stop. Don't keep listening. I will definitely be talking about things that happen in this book. Um, Not sure that it would really necessarily ruin it for anyone. I mean, you're welcome to listen and then read, but just want to make sure that you're forewarned. I will be talking about the in detail what's happening from the start to chapter nine of this book. So we'll go ahead and get started with some summary points. So Girl in Red story centers on a girl, woman, she's 20, so whatever your definition of a woman or girl is at that age. Her name is Red, and she is trying to get to her grandma's house. Wow. Uh, Like I said, this is a retelling of (laughs) Red Riding Hood. So yeah, in a nutshell, it's a girl named Red is trying to get to her grandma's house. The apocalypse is happening. So yeah. So this is written a first-person point of view. The entire book is in Red's point of view, and it moves back and forth in time. So each chapter will start with either saying after or before, before being before, assuming she lost her family, after being when she's just kind of on her own trying to make this trek to her grandma's house. And the nice thing about this that I've really enjoyed is you slowly learn not only about the outbreak, but about the character of why she's alone and sort of her development of what got her to this point. And out in this world, so this apocalypse, this type of apocalypse, is a pandemic apocalypse. No zombies, just good old-fashioned people dying from a disease. So in this world, there's certain threats There are these rumored quarantine camps that the government is having everyone placed in that's well, which is kind of a weird tactic, and it's something Red is very suspicious of, because if you have people that aren't sick, you know, putting them in a huge cluster together, you know, rounding them up like cattle and keeping them all pinned together isn't really a great idea if you're trying to stop the spread of disease. It would make more sense if you're quarantining people who are actually sick. However, we see that anyone who gets this sickness dies. There's no cure before, you know, Things got completely AWOL, no cure was discovered, no treatment was really discovered in this world. So if you get this cough, it's called the cough, is what they call this pandemic, you die. Um, The main symptom is coughing pretty much to the point of hemorrhaging. Again, you kind of slowly learn about this disease. It makes sense that an average person 
who's not part of the CDC or the government wouldn't have all the details, especially if the government's not trying to release those details. But what we can see is that it's called the cough because you basically cough yourself to death, which is possible. Um, but so that's kind of the in the dark cause of this pandemic. And one thing that sort of gave Red and her family a benefit is that they actually live in sort of a rural environment where their nearest neighbor's like 20 minutes away from them. They live on some property or by the woods in a small town, and that is to their benefit, luckily. So I want to talk a little bit more about the main character and kind of doing a deep dive into who Red is because she's the first person point of view of this whole story and this whole story really centers around her and her family. So her real name is actually Cordelia or Delia for short. Um, She goes on to say that her mom gave her this name and she hates it. So she goes by Red. I'm not sure I blame her for that. That's kind of a terrible name. So some basic facts about this character. She's 20 years old when this happens. She was in college. Obviously, then the outbreak happened and she couldn't go back. She's mixed race. Her mom is African-American. Her dad is white. She lost her leg at age eight and wears a prosthetic. That is something that I found very interesting about this character. She has a prosthetic. So they've taken a character that you would think the odds are stacked against her already and kind of made her the ultimate survivor. But I'll get back onto why I find some aspects of this problematic. But anyway, um, so she had a mom, a dad, and a brother before all this went south. She lived in a small town. That was the basic facts that were given about her life before. Now, her traits... And these are traits that are discovered kind of as the book goes on, because initially, and what I meant by problematic with the fact that she wears a prosthetic, is she initially comes off as this Mary Sue character. And for those of you who don't know this definition, Mary Sue or a Mary Sue is a term used to describe a character that is flawless to the point of unbelievable so like superman is a typical mary sue character of they just exist without sufficient flaws to make them believable or human so the fact that the first scene in this book is red sitting at a campfire making stew this guy comes up to her then that you know She calls him a coyote, sniffing around her campfire, looking for food, maybe looking to rob her, mug her, maybe to do something worse. Um, And she kills him outright. She just knows what to do, kills him, gets away from the scene, continues on her trek with all these facts sort of popping into her head of, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to go through the water because if there's dogs with the military unit that's following me, maybe 
They won't be able to smell past this trail, yada, yada, yada. All this stuff that you're thinking kind of, you know, I mean, a 20-year-old who was in college, but, you know, apart from that, really didn't even go camping, wouldn't necessarily know this. So at first she comes off as a Mary Sue, but as you continue to read, the before parts are very important for showing her flaws, which I think is key to making her character more believable. So as you read, these are the traits that I've found at this point in the book that she has. So she's nerdy and knowledgeable. Why did I write that down? She reads a lot. She quotes Lord of the Rings, but like the actual books, not the movies. She like specifies this. Um, so that's the nerdy part. Knowledgeable. She talks about how even before all this started, she really loved reading apocalypse fiction and watching like apocalypse style movies zombies, monsters, survivalist films. She talks about like the final girl trope, things like that. And that's a lot of what motivates her actions. Paranoid and prepared. These kind of go hand in hand because you see pieces within this story where she's both smart enough to prepare ahead of time, but also kind of paranoid to the extreme. Like she carries her backpack, her pack, constantly to the bathroom and this is before her family's even left like she's just in her home wearing her camping pack of survival gear and part of it it does make sense that she's trying to train herself she talks about taking these long walks in the woods with this pack on and she's trying to train herself to be able to carry it especially with her prosthetic that makes sense the paranoia is the part where she says she doesn't want to ever be caught without it because if something happens, if there's a final moment where she just has no time, she doesn't want to be caught without it. Now, that's not to say this isn't useful paranoia because when things finally do go down, she does have zero seconds to get the hell out of there. So it it's not necessarily useless, but you also see where she kind of overthinks a lot and she's very paranoid. And in this case, for once, in this kind of scenario, it seems that people like that actually end up on top, which is interesting. Can be stubborn and argumentative. This is something you see more when she actually had a family. With her mom and her, especially her brother, she's just, because she's got that sort of know-it-all personality, she'll argue the point. Even if it's, maybe so there were times when I read it, and I, I I would say this even as someone who is very much a know-it-all and argumentative, there were points with her brother or with her mom where it was like, it doesn't matter that you're right, just move on for the sake of, I don't know, energy, preserving your energy. But she will argue the point even past to where it becomes sort of, mean but you'll also see that you you kind of get aggravated with her family which is another thing it kind of makes her seem like a Mary Sue at first is she 
she is the one who's pushing her family to prepare and we need to go to grandma's house because grandma lives in the middle of the woods and she's like a homesteader and self-sufficient and also they called her and she told them to come there but also and she's the one that's like packing and ready to go and her family's not and her family's sort of doing all these sort of rookie mistakes in her mind and in the reader's mind because it's she's written for you to empathize with her um but again this also leads her to think oh she's kind of it's interesting to see this 20 year old outsmart you know adults and an older brother but again the more you read about the character you the more you understand it kind of goes back to the fact that she's nerdy she reads this stuff she watches this stuff it's ingrained in her head She's an overthinker. She's paranoid. So for once, this is actually her time to shine. This is where it doesn't matter her age or her experience. She knows this stuff. She's had nightmares about this stuff and it's coming true. So it's for once, you know, you're screaming along with her at her parents, you know, just listen to her. Oh my God, just listen. She's right. And Obviously, because of her age, and since she's the youngest, no one really does. Um, so I wrote, she's got a very strong character, obviously. She's willing to do what it takes. I put that there because she's she. you see that she is very willing to kill other people to protect herself. Now, it's still clear that, again, she's. I wouldn't describe her as a killer. I would describe her very much as a survivor because it's not like she's trying to kill people. It makes sense though that if she if you're this young, she's 20 years old, she's got a prosthetic, she's alone, she's female, you know, you're not going it makes sense not to trust anyone. I mean, she doesn't want to trust anyone and in this sort of pandemic apocalypse, it makes sense not to trust anyone anyway because they could be sick. You don't know how long the incubation period is for this particular disease. So it makes sense to stay away from people anyway. But on top of that, if you take into the fact her age, her gender, the fact that she's got a prosthetic, although that clearly doesn't slow her down yet, I'm hoping as the book goes on, they raise the issue again of she's got a unique experience because of the prosthetic. But it makes sense for her to be suspicious of pretty much everyone. Um, and one thing that is actually a recurring theme that I appreciate in this book is it's not the apocalypse, it's not the pandemic that freaks people out that you should be scared of and all those. She literally has this great quote. Actually, I think I wrote it down. Um, yes. So there's a quote in the book that and actually addresses this fear that I think a lot of people can relate to and that you see prevalent in a lot of this fiction. <clears throat> so this is the direct quote, and I'm paraphrasing in the sense that I'm skipping some parts of the quote to sort of make it more cohesive. But the quote is, the most important factor in all of those apocalypse books and movies, it was never the event, capitalize the event, that was the problem. It was what people did after. And that is a key part of this 
story is can you trust people after they've been reduced back to their survivalist instincts? And you can see that you can't. Even before she sets out on this trek, something happens with her and her family. They go through these two very extreme experiences where they really witness who their neighbors actually are. And it's incredibly frightening. The first thing that happens is they decide to go into town. Because again, they live a significant distance away from anyone else and from any kind of, say, Walmart or pharmacy or grocery store. And they decide to go into town because the only person that has hiking gear is red. They don't have any. The mom, the dad, the brother, they are not outdoorsy people, which is shocking considering that they live in a small town, but I digress from that. So when they drive into town to get supplies, what happens is they find a body pile, like literally just bodies piled on top of each other set on fire. And obviously this is very awful thing to witness. Um, but it also, my biggest question reading this was, are we going to talk about who did that? Was it government mandated? Is that the way they're treating people that are sick now? Or was that their neighbors, which is even scarier? Well, I'm not actually sure which is scarier. The idea that the people that you grew up with, raised your kids with, or lived around for years could suddenly turn on each other like that, or the idea that the government is actually, or what's left of the government is doing that. Again, I'm not sure what would be more frightening. I want to say neighbors, because you think that's who you could trust, but who am I to say? You, I guess it's more you would expect it from the government. You wouldn't necessarily expect it from your neighbors. That's just me. But after that, her mom gets sick because she doesn't use proper protocol and keep her mouth covered with a mask because it's an airborne disease and they're surrounded by dead bodies. She retches and starts inhaling the germs and she gets sick. So when the after is about to happen, which is to say when the trek is about to finally be made, it's just Red and her brother because her mom is sick and her dad refuses to leave. Which I wasn't a huge fan of, but I, I mean, I'd like to think that most dads out there would make sure their kids were okay versus staying with their sick wife planning to either die with her via the same sickness or suicide. Again, that's just my opinion. Everyone's different. But before they even get the chance to really say goodbye, what happens is these neighbors, these so-called neighbors of theirs, roll up in some car, guns a-blazing, and they assume it's like a racist motivation of taking them out because they're mixed race and because their mom married a white man. 
which is awful. And I can see that happening. It's a little weird to me that considering what's happening, I mean, you agree with red in the sense that of all the things to prioritize, this is what you're prioritizing, like racial issues, like how those don't go away just because the apocalypse happens. You think they would and they don't, which is again, key to that theme of it's what people do after shit hits the fan for lack of a better term. That's frightening. It's what people do when there's no one watching them anymore, when there's no rules, when it's survival of the fittest or the strongest. That's what's more frightening than necessarily the event itself depends on what's causing this apocalypse. Um, a key point too is, um, with this sickness, again, the cough is that it wipes out whole cities and towns almost randomly because they talk about how someone's entire family could get it and die. And like the dad survives, or in this case, the children survive, they don't get it but like everyone else does. There's no real key reason that some people survive and some don't. Red talks about theorizing that maybe it's just picking randomly because it knows that it needs certain people to survive to prolong its existence, but there's really no rhyme or reason why some people survive and some people don't. Red survives, obviously, despite interacting with her mom her brother, at least initially, where we've left them, survives, but we don't know if he continues to. Um, so two journeys, it should be taken of note here that there's two journeys that are being taken by this character. There's the physical journey from her home to her grandma's, and then there's this emotional journey from this naive kid knowledgeable, paranoid, overthinker, yes, but naive, hasn't actually experienced much of what she's been watching or reading to this more jaded, worldly survivor character. And it's really interesting to see that because it's not a straight parallel with the time lapse of before, after, back and forth in time, really adds to that character depth and kind of keeps you hooked on this novel of when did she kind of flip the switch into survivor mode? Because as we'll see initially, when she and her brother have to leave or get killed by crazy racist people, she freezes. Her brother runs, bolts out the door, which you don't expect because he's the one who's been saying we need to go to the quarantine camps, you know, the government will help us. She freezes in place. Her mom has to shake her and tell her to get the hell out. We can't leave. We're going to die, but you can. And she freezes. And then finally she runs. And that is the point when I finally start to buy this character. When, and this is like almost to the halfway point in the book, almost the last chapter before you hit the halfway point. Do we finally see, okay, Despite all her knowledge, she wasn't just ready from the get-go. She wasn't just flip the switch. We're into survival mode now. This is what we do. She was a 
person. She was a 20-year-old kid that had to be forced from her home, not watch her parents die, but knew her parents were going to die at the hands of their neighbors and had to argue and grieve, not even really grieve with her brother over this happening. So that was a key point when I suddenly bought this character of, okay, she didn't just pop out of the ground perfect and ready to take on this apocalypse. She was a young adult who wasn't ready for what was happening. The difference is she got ready real quick. And then the last thing you kind I kind of want to talk about is how she compartmentalizes, which I thought was interesting. Um, she does this with the death of her parents. Um, I think at one point she and her brother separate. It's hinted at. I'm not sure why. If he gets sick, if he decides to go to the quarantine camps, I'm not sure. I'm sure we'll find out in the second half of the book. But she compartmentalizes, even at the beginning. She talks about how whenever she starts to think about the family she left behind, she puts it in this closet. Or when she thinks about what would happen if someone found her or if she got sick, she puts it in this closet. She puts it in a box and she closes the door and she's like, we're not going to open this right now. And I think that's the point where you start to see right after she has to leave with her brother and leave her parents behind. She does that. She's like, we're putting this in a box. We're putting what happened to my mom and dad. We're putting it in this closet. We're closing the door. We're locking it. We're not going to open this right now. And I think that's the point where she really flips into survival mode. Because I think a lot of us can relate to doing this. I know I definitely can. If it's not the right moment to really delve into grieving or what's happening or panic. If you just know you can't open and untangle this web of feelings right now because it'll drown you and you need to be free from doing that. You've got other things in her, in this case, survival. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think that's one of those first steps into becoming the worldly character that we see in the present versus in the past. This goes in this box. We will open it when we have the luxury to actually open it. We'll address this stress and trauma and grief when we can actually afford to, when we know we're not going to die in the next minute. So that was the point that I think she starts to become this survivalist. But I'm really excited to see what happens to this character. Um, I think I would predict that she's going to make the full transformation once she has to say goodbye to her brother. But from this point on, the next part of the book is chapter nine and finishing it. So if you'd like to read along with me, it's chapter nine to the end of the book. In part two, I'll discuss the end of it. And I think I'll get more into some real world comparisons to what she's experiencing right now. But this was a really fascinating book. I can't wait to see what happens next. Please feel feel, feel free to read along with me. Um, I think you'll be hooked from the from the first chapter, quite honestly. But that's all I have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And this has been Book Club for the Apocalypse, talking about The Girl in Red by Christina Henry.